The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So briefly, this retreat, this non-residential retreat, is uh, an opportunity for you to have some support for practice in your daily lives. So I'll just talk for just a minute about the schedule. So today we'll meet until about quarter to five, and during the day I will offer you some practices, some techniques, some tools for working with your practice in your daily life. And um, we'll also do a few uh, exercises or practices today for exploring some of the topics, the themes that I have planned for the week. And then during the week, um, so today is, is pretty much a lot of information. I'll be giving you a lot of information. And I do have a handout that contains much of what I talk about today. Um, So uh, I prefer not to hand that out until the end of the day uh, because I find people will sit there and read instead of listening. So so I hand that out at the end of the day. But if any of you have to leave midday, just come and check with me and I'd be happy to give you those handouts before you go. So the schedule for the week today, a lot of information, a lot of talking about practices, Uh, some sitting, some walking. And um, for the rest of the week, Monday and Thursday evenings will look the way they usually do here on Monday nights um, and Thursday nights. But I'll be doing the talk, and the talk will be relevant to uh, what we're doing in our daily life practice. Then for the other mornings and evenings, we'll meet 7.30 to 9 a.m., and 7.30 to 9 p.m. And we'll sit for some period of time at the beginning of that, uh, at least half an hour, perhaps longer. Um, And then the remainder of the time will largely be discussion. There'll be an opportunity. I will want to hear from you. I'll want to hear from you about what's happening in your daily life practice, what you're noticing, where you're confused about working with the techniques and tools, Um, what you're experiencing as you bring this practice into your daily life. So mostly it's very informal in terms of what happens on the mornings and evenings. There will be times that uh, I, having heard some theme from people, I may give a little short talk on some topic or other that I think would be relevant to the whole group. But I I don't prepare talks for each of these events. It's very much responsive. I I ask you what's happening, and I uh, respond, and we talk about what's what's happening. Then on Saturday, there is a day-long retreat so that we're really bracketing the entire week with some intensive period of practice and our day with, with practice and, and getting together. So on Saturday, I won't talk much about Saturday right now, but it's, it, it will be um, an open style of practice uh, taught in the style of my teacher, Sayada Utejaniya, who teaches a style of practice that's, that's pretty much strict mindfulness. He doesn't focus on concentrating or bringing the mind to stillness around any particular experience like the breathing. 
He just encourages general mindfulness continuously through the day. And that's really what we are shooting for in our daily life practice, is to understand how to begin to bring our mindfulness to our moment-to-moment day as it unfolds. During this week, I also offer interviews for those of you who will be treating this retreat this week like a retreat. Um, I know there are probably some of you who can come today only and maybe not come so much during the week. So I like to offer the first opportunity for people to sign up for interviews for those who can attend uh, the retreat as, attend the week as a retreat. So I'd like to get a show of hands. And, and by that I mean basically, um, um, well, let's, let me first get a show of hands of how many of you think you'll be able to come pretty much every session. Thirteen, fourteen of you coming every session, and then how many of you um, are planning to come regularly? Say of the of the ten sessions during the week, able to come, say um, six or so, seven or so of those. One, two, three, four, five, eight, nine. Okay, so that so of those, I will offer first to those of you who have raised your hand. Um, the opportunity for interviews. Um, after that, if there's any spaces, uh, others of you who are coming a little less frequently um, will have the opportunity. I, I have only, you know, maybe 35 or 40 slots for interviews this week. So um, let's start out with um, people signing up for one interview and then, um, and then say, in a couple days... Um, well, let's sign up for one or two, I guess, as as it works for you. Um, and I may add some times if I find if there are people that are that are having uh, trouble. I haven't had uh, this many people uh, interested in doing the whole retreat, so um, I normally have had enough space for two interviews per person, and I'd like to accommodate that. So I may I may add some more some more times. Um, so if you find that you don't have a time slot or there are no, no times for you, um, let me know, and I will, I will um, look at when I can add some times. So the, uh, I'll put this, this interview sign-up sheet out on the back of the stage so that when we take a break, um, you're welcome to, to start signing up for these slots. So the way... The way these work is they're basically right after the morning session or right before the evening session. And so they're in order. Uh, I've got numbers next to them. Um, Signing up for the lowered numbers slots first so that there won't be any holes in between uh, the ending of the morning session and the first interview or the uh, beginning of the evening session and the last interview. So hopefully that's clear enough. So since this is a retreat, 
Um, I like to begin it the way we begin a residential retreat, even though it's not a residential retreat. Um, We typically begin a retreat by kind of coming together and acknowledging that we're stepping into a new space for ourselves. We're stepping into a container in which we're practicing together as a community. And a formal way to step into that container is to is to um, take the refuges and the precepts together. So the, uh, the refuges, and I'm just going to say a few words about these. The refuges are a set of three aspects that we can come back to or come back to touching in with if there's difficulty for, our, for us during our practice. These are the refuge in the Buddha, the refuge in the Dharma, and the refuge in the Sangha. I like to think about the refuge in the Buddha for myself. We can think about it as being taking refuge in the being that lived 2,500 years ago, but that's not so immediate or direct for me. But what is immediate and direct is what the Buddha represents, which is the Buddha as a human being had the capacity and rose to the capacity to wake up. So for me, taking refuge in the Buddha is taking refuge in the capacity that we have as human beings to bring attention to our experience and to understand our experience in terms of moving towards freedom from suffering and away from the habits, the patterns that catch us over and over again into suffering. So this capacity exists within all of us in a way, in the capacity that we have for self-reflection, to look at our experience, see the impact that our actions have on on our experience. The self-reflective capacity that we have has the, the power to show us what will lead us away from suffering, what will lead us towards happiness. So this capacity, is a, it's a capacity we all share. And tapping into it is the, uh, the power of the, the refuge of the Dharma. The Dharma can be looked at as the teachings that the Buddha offered, the actual tools, the practices. And sometimes it can be helpful to think about those as a place of refuge, as a place where we can come back to support. These are the tools, the techniques that, that will support us on our journey to waking up, to our journey to opening our hearts and connecting with our experience, with the capacity to love, to be compassionate, to be equanimous. So there are those tools and techniques which we can take refuge in and, and ha- allow to support us. And the, another way to look at a refuge in the Dharma is as a taking refuge in what's actually happening right here and right now. Another way to look at the Dharma is as the truth. 
It is what is actually happening here and now. The truth of what has come to be in this moment. And taking refuge in the Dharma is the, uh, the willingness to recognize that is what is happening. To meet that experience without biases, without filters. And in a way, we can take refuge in it because it is true. Because it couldn't be any other way in this moment. We do have a choice about how to respond to this moment. And that's where some of the tools and techniques taught by the the Buddha support us in terms of stepping forward. So the Dharma can be looked at as, as the taking refuge in just what is happening right now, using the tools and techniques to support our ability to do that. And then there's refuge in the Sangha, which is a lot about what this retreat is about, that we support each other. One of the really um, common things for people to say about this retreat is that coming here and listening to what other people are saying about how they're working with their practice, it provides multiple levels of support. First of all, we find out we're not alone in terms of what we're working with. We see that others are working with these, these issues also. And we hear how people are working with it. So there's some inspiration that can come from listening to the Sangha, coming together in a Sangha to talk about the Dharma. can be immensely supportive for our practice. There are times when people have come in the morning and they've felt like, I just didn't want to come, I didn't want to be here. But after coming and hearing and listening to people, the whole mood and attitude shifts. And there's a sense of inspiration and support. So that's taking refuge in the Sangha. That we can, we can come back to these things. The capacity that we have to wake up, the... Uh, the truth of this moment and the tools, the techniques that the Buddha taught for coming into our experience moment to moment, and the Sangha, the community. So that's a a short discussion about the refuges. And then the precepts are the ethical container for the retreat that we agree to certain guidelines for how we'll behave with each other. And the, the five precepts that we traditionally take um, are to refrain from killing, to refrain from taking what is not given, to refrain from sexual misconduct, to refrain from false speech, and to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. So during this week, I'm, I'm not going to go into a detailed exploration of these right now because that'll t- that would take quite a while, but during this week, in your exploration of these precepts, just for this week, see if you can commit to refraining from killing any being. Now, that, that's extremely challenging. I mean, when you eat food, there may be beings that are being killed. But the obvious, the obvious being, seeing if you can keep from killing ants in your kitchen, um, 
swatting spiders, things like that. Just see if you can keep your heart free from that aggression of killing. Refraining from taking what is not given. Uh, again, you can, you can, the obvious ways, of course, we're not, not going to be going out and robbing banks or stealing things from stores, but look also at subtle ways, perhaps, that one might engage in taking what's not given. Uh, at work, for instance, taking um, office supplies home or um, picking up something that appears to have been left behind and, and assuming that the person is not going to come back for it. Just ways that um, you're taking what is not actually offered to you. So that's, that's a good way to look at it. The, the, the phrasing of the precept, refraining from taking that which is not given, is a good way to look at it. Unless something is offered to you, then refrain from taking it. Now, you know when you go into a store, things are offered as long as you pay for them. So this doesn't keep you from doing your normal kinds of activities. But just looking at the more subtlety of it. You can also look at it in terms of the subtlety of uh, perhaps taking someone's time if, uh, if you, um, you know, are engaging them in a conversation. You know, is, is that something offered from them that time have they actually offered it so looking at, into the subtleties of taking what is not not refraining from taking what's not given uh, the sexual misconduct this is a, this is about I mean the obvious aspects of this are refraining from adultery refraining from uh, harm with sexuality and you know this can get a little more subtle in terms of looking at how you use your sexual energy are you using your sexual energy to get something that you want? So again, looking at uh, this in, in a more subtle way, looking at refraining from using sexuality in a way that might cause harm. The whole framework of all of these precepts is to create a container of safety and non-harming. They're all, uh, they're all focused on this container of safety. So they're not so much, you know, they they have the flavor of thou shalt not in a way. They sound like that. But really they're more about the creation of of community, of a, a sense of safety in community. So the fourth is refraining from false speech. Um, this one, refraining from uh, telling lies. And, uh, you know, look into in your own experience where there's a subtle pull to tell a subtle white lie uh, during the week. You know, it, it, it may simply be as, you know, as simple as, you know, somebody calls up and says, um, you know, let's get together tomorrow night. And you say, oh, I'm busy. Or, you know, if you don't want to see them. A subtle white lie around already being engaged so that you don't have to say no directly. So is there a way to simply say, you can just simply say, not tomorrow night, how about another night? You don't, have to, you don't have to give a reason necessarily. Just say, that's not a good night for me. 
You don't have to say, I'm busy, I'm doing something else. So looking into uh, the subtlety around speech. Refraining from intoxicants, uh, refraining from recreational drugs and alcohol is what this refers to. And some, some people, some teachers uh, say this is refraining from them to the point of intoxication. Um, I would like to suggest during this week that you refrain entirely from recreational drugs and alcohol and see what impact it has on your mind. The, uh, the point of this precept has to do with clarity of mind, has to do with not clouding our perceptions. When I was exploring this in my um, early years of practice, I really actually quickly discovered that even a, a small glass of wine at dinner made it hard to meditate that night. And not only that, it made it hard to meditate the next morning, even though I had not become intoxicated. There's just a clouding of the mind that happens around consuming the, uh, the alcohol. So just for this week, engaging in this as a true restraint, I'd like to offer that as a, as a possibility and see what happens to you. Um, what, you, what kind of differences do you notice? So um, I'd like to take the refuges and precepts together out loud. And um, we'll do this, the first part in the Pali, the refuges in the Pali, and then the precepts we can do in English. Um, so we'll do this call and response. Um, so I will say... Uh, a few words of the Pali chant, and then uh, you can respond. And I just let you know what we're saying in the Pali. The first part is a, is a phrase that's basically an homage to the Buddha and naming some of his qualities, that he's enlightened, that he's um, self-awakened. The, so we'll say that three times. And then we take um, the refuges, which is, I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge to the Dharma, I go for refuge to the Sangha. Then for the second time, I go for refuge to the Buddha, for the second time, the Dharma, the second time, the Sangha. And then for the third time, again. I'm going to... Well, I guess I'll leave this on the recording, but I'm going to take this off so I don't blast the speakers. Namo tasa. Namo tasa. Bhagavato. Bhagavato. Arahato. Arahato. Sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa, Namo tassa, Bhagavato, Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama Sambuddhasa, Sama Sambuddhasa, Namo tassa.
Tassa, Namo Tassa, Bhagavato, Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama Sambuddhasa, Sama Sambuddhasa, Buddhang Saranangachami, Buddhang Saranangachami, Dhammang Saranangachami, Sangam Saranangga Chami Sangam Saranangga Chami Dutiampi Dutiampi Budang Saranangga Chami Budang Saranangga Chami Dutiampi Dutiampi Damang Saranangga Chami Damang Saranangga Chami Dutiampi Dutiampi Sangam Saranangga Chami Sangam Saranangga Chami Tatiampi Tatiampi Budang Saranangga Chami Budang Saranangga Chami Tatiampi Tatiampi Damang Saranangga Chami Damang Saranangga Chami Tatiampi Tatiampi Sangang Saranangga Chami Sangang Saranangga Chami Now we'll do the precepts together in English. And following the ending of taking the precepts, we'll sit for about 15 minutes. So we'll do this a line at a time. I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the precept to refrain from false speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicants which cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. One of the things we do in our daily lives a lot is walk. So I want to um, give you some suggestions about working with walking in daily life. Different from the standard instructions that we usually teach on a a day-long retreat here, which is much more focused and concentrated, paying attention to the just the subtle movements in your feet as you walk. So 
in our daily lives, we walk all the time. You know, we walk from our house to our car, from our car to the store, from we walk around the grocery store, we walk around our work when we get up from our desk and go to the bathroom. There's all kinds of times that we walk. And so using that as a kind of a grounding place for attention is really helpful. And to be able to come into that walking practice with mindfulness, not as a kind of a heavy, focused thing, but really light. And actually, a lot of the way I'm going to suggest working with mindfulness during this week is very light. A lot of times people say, you know, I'm too busy, I don't have time to be mindful. And that is part of what I want to uh, shift your perception around. That the mindfulness practice itself doesn't have to feel like a burden. So I'm going to talk a lot about that as we go through the week. So beginning with walking, um, we're going to do a walk right now. We're going to do about, well, maybe about 25 or 20 or 25 minutes for walking. And what I'd like you to do, I I think the weather is good enough to, uh, to be walking outside. I just want you to take a walk around the neighborhood. I don't want you to do back and forth walking. I just want you to take a normal kind of walk. Walk at your normal pace and just engage in your experience in a kind of a normal way. I'll give you a couple of instructions around this. The first instruction around walking that I like to encourage people to work with is to allow yourself to just settle into the kind of rhythm and pace of walking and check in to what pace of walking makes your body and mind feel at ease. There's often some pace that we move at where the mindfulness can just come right into sync with our movement. So for instance, for me right now, if I move my arm like this, the mindfulness can kind of keep up with that. But that pace the mind is pretty comfortable with right now. And it varies throughout the day, what you're doing. But see if you can, in this exploration, use this time as an exploration to see that kind of feedback between body and mind. Where is the mind most comfortable paying attention? And where is the body also most comfortable? So use the first, say, five to ten minutes of the walk in that way, just noticing ease in your body and mind and seeing how the pace of the walking correlates to that ease. You might just play with the pace a little bit. Start at walking a particular pace and notice how it impacts your body. Then slow down a little bit and see how that impacts your body. Play with the pace, the rhythm of walking, and see how it impacts your mind. See if you can find that kind of sweet spot of movement where the mind and the, uh, the mindfulness kind of actually wants to be in that zone. So that's one instruction. The other, the other technique I offer for walking meditation is much, it's a little bit more of a doing. It's more of an actual technique of uh, attending to various aspects of our experience while walking. 
And it doesn't have to stay this technique for the whole time, but it's a, it's a really helpful place to start because in our typical walking meditation, we're really focusing on our feet. You know, a lot of times we, we, we kind of put our blinders on our eyes, we just look down at the floor, you know, three feet in front of us, and we're not really engaging in the world. In this kind of walking practice, we are engaging in the world. And so this technique that I'm going to offer you is a way of incorporating different aspects of experience into the awareness while walking. So after you've come to a sense of pace where you're comfortable, then I'd like you to try this exercise where you start for some number of paces, say maybe five to ten paces, with paying attention to seeing. Notice that seeing is happening. However you take in seeing. Just spend, spend five to ten seconds with seeing. And then switch to hearing. Take in the fact that hearing is happening. The sounds of cars, perhaps laughter, the sound of your feet on the pavement. Whatever sounds are happening, take it in through the ear door for, again, five to ten seconds. And then switch to the feeling of the body moving the physicality of the body moving, the legs swinging, the arms swinging, the body moving through space. And then, for the last part of this, switching down to the feet contacting the ground, just touching, the feet touching the ground, just staying with that for five to ten seconds. And then coming back to seeing after that. And you can use a kind of a mental labeling for this to support your mind kind of inclining your mind to stay with each area, seeing, hearing, moving, touching. And I remember the order thinking from top to bottom, seeing, hearing, body moving through space, feet touching the ground. Keep cycling through those. You can play with the pace of switching between these different areas. Some people find it helpful to switch more quickly, say two or three seconds for each one. Others find it more helpful to stay with them for longer, say 30 seconds or even a minute with seeing, and then switch. So use your, uh, your own intuition around how this works for you, whether, what, what the pace is in terms of moving between these areas. So we have about 20 minutes now for this. And then we'll come back and, and have a, a discussion about um, what, you've, what you've noticed. <laughs> 